What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another podcast episode, our sixth one of the Welcome to the J podcast, brought to you by the Field of Six Day Media Network. Make sure to like and subscribe to follow us on all of our endeavors uh, to get your Blue Jay content from myself and other content from uh, various other hosts representing alma maters. Today on the pod, a very special guest. He's our producer extraordinaire. He's our master editor, and he's a low-key sneakerhead, which obviously you guys know that I love. Tyler Aki. Tyler, welcome to the Jay, brother. Welcome to the Jay. I don't know if it's a special guest, that the, the special guest that they were expecting to have today, but uh, thanks so much right. for having me, Jay. Let's talk some, some Blue Jay basketball right now, because I think some of the people need to be kind of talked back right now because they there's a lot of panic right now it feels like yeah if i know the jays fans as well as i think that i do losing two games in a row is never something that we're used to even it rarely happens to the boys so uh, i'm sure they woke up this morning like man what is going on what is the state of the team but we'll get into it for sure just I'm, i guess i need to correct you a little bit any any guest of the J is a special guest, all right? So you are a very right. special and welcome guest. Well, thank you. <laughs> all right, let's talk about let's talk about last night specifically. Tough loss for the boys. Um, they end up losing seventy four to seventy to uh, a very desperate and uh, a team that really needed a win in Providence. They had lost the last three games before playing the Jays. They come out guns blazing. Turned the game off on a a 13 to two run and kind of never looked back from there. Tyler, I know that you saw parts of the game. Uh, Providence's start is something that I'm sure not a lot of people uh, saw coming, but you know, you kind of get that sometimes from a desperate team on the road, uh, look to do whatever it takes to get a three. What did you see early on in the game that stopped Creighton from getting into the flow of things early? Well, I think in particular, too, when you think about Providence, is this is a team that took Creighton down to the wire early on. And they probably had that hunger, like you were mentioning, in the back of their minds this entire game. And you got to wonder, did something like that play a factor? But to me, it's these slow starts, Jahens. I mean, you look at it for this Creighton team a couple of times now where we have seen them start out slow. Both of these games, the Butler game and the Providence game have both been slow starts for, for Creighton. And I don't know, what is it with you? When you look at these slow starts, the the Butler game, the Providence game, how how do they get things going early on? Well, I know for a fact, coach Mack likes to script their first couple of plays. Um, And if they ever get a stop and able to run on transition, obviously he lets them go, but that was the issue with Creighton, especially the first possession of the game. Watson got a really easy look down low and that kind of got him rolling for his really big night so uh they had a tough time to pick and roll and inside big got the offensive rebounds and put him back in or he got his scores off of simple post up and we have to play five on five against a really well coached team i think coach cooley is one of the more respected coaches in the big east if not in all of america when you have to play five on five against that type of defense that's really going to pay attention to scout and report and really make it tough Tyler, you already mentioned uh, the game at Providence where Kringle got uh, to a soul start, really had to battle their way um, into winning that game near the end with that dunk by Christian at, uh, Christian Bishop at the end of that game. Um, but when you have to play against a really tough and, and really well-schooled uh, defense put on by one of the better coaches in America, it's always going to be tough to score and tough to come by no matter how good of an offensive team that you have. I look at the pace, too, of these games. Like, you look at Butler, you look at Providence. They are two of the slower-playing teams in the entire country, both offensively and defensively. 
Meanwhile, Creighton's yeah. a team, they like to get up and go. You know that. So how yeah. much do you feel like pace is maybe playing a factor in this two-game losing streak right now where Creighton can't get out and play their game right now? That's a great point that you just made because Coach Cooley is great at slowing down Creighton's pace. He's shown it over the years. I was a victim of it in our 2013-2014 team. They'll just kind of run that flex if they feel like things will go out of hand. They'll run that flex for about... 27 seconds and get the last shot of or, or get a shot near the end of that shot clock uh, in order to slow down the pace if it's not to his liking. But what I kind of saw, particularly from Providence, especially early on, was when they got their defensive stops, when Crane was unable to make shots, they got the rebound and they really tried to push it up in transition and see if they can get some sort of early offense going. And when they didn't have that, they would pull it back and actually run a set and, and slow down the pace again. So uh, the Butler game, um, Korean had a tough time dictating his space. I thought Marcus Arouse being out for that game played a, a big part in that. But this game as well, Marcus comes back. Uh, he had a pretty solid game if you look at his numbers, but really wasn't able to push the pace the way that we traditionally see a Korean team be able to push pace. And he's so important, right? Like the way that he gets this offense flowing, the way that things kind of run through him, that's what they need. And they maybe it's just the consistency of getting him back in the lineup. I don't know about you, but were there any big injuries that happened during your time at Creighton where we needed that guy in the lineup? And that's something that Creighton's kind of dealing with right now is not just living without him, but now living with him, not necessarily in a limited capacity, but he's getting his legs back under him. He's getting his conditioning back and just getting back into the flow of what things used to be when earlier in the season they were blowing teams out. Yeah. I mean, for you asked about like my experience, Grant Gibbs was that guy for me, my senior year, we lost him for about six or seven games right in the middle of Big East play. He hurt himself at Paul and then came back actually against DePaul at home uh, later on in that year. Um, and Grant was such an important part for us. His connection with Doug was what really made our offense click. Uh, but at, at that time, because we were all seniors, we all knew our roles and, and how to play well with each other. We, we, I don't think we lost the game during the time that Grant was out, if I'm, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, but Grant wasn't the push setter for us. That was Austin Chapman. Grant was really like the really savvy half-court guy who uses his brains and his smarts to get everybody open and to put guys in good positions. Austin was really the pace setter for our team. So Marcus Zagorowski being out for a couple of games, it, it really does kind of affect the flow of things when he comes back because uh, those guys are playing at the pace that, let's say, Sharif was – providing for them uh, for the last two games. And now they have to kind of uh, integrate Marcus back into that lineup and, and get the flow of things going back to his particular pace and playing style that he likes to play at. So I'm not surprised that they had a little bit of struggles getting their pace set early, but a lot of that also has to do with the way that Providence played defense, the way that they were scoring on offense and forcing Crane to play in a um, half court setting. I wanted to ask you a question too, Tyler. Obviously we're talking about the, the uh, importance of Marcus Zagorowski. Uh, what did you see from him in particular last night that uh, gives you or should give Creighton fans some, some hope moving forward that everything will be fine and that the team will be able to right the wrongs in the last couple of games? Well, it does seem like he's a steadying force. Like usually when you see teams go down 10, 15 points, it's almost like full-on panic mode. But with him and with Damian Jefferson in, in particular, I noticed this with him, they're kind of the guys yep. yep exactly they're kind of the guys that keep you in it now you just got to find the the formula to have that killer instinct that okay 
we were down 12. We were down 15. We've cut it to three. Now go take the lead. Like we saw them in the Butler game. They were down double digits. Then they go into the half. I believe that they were down seven. They, they go out and they go up seven. But then you need that, that closer mentality towards the, the close of the games. And I think that's something that w- when Marcus is back and when he's in the lineup for these games, that's something that they're going to have. And I know they didn't show it as much in this game, but it's just nice to have that steadying force of Damian Jefferson and then Marcus Zagorowski, where those are two guys that I think this is more of a, the outlier than the norm in terms of they'll be able to claw their way back and close these games. And again, the fast starts are going to be important. I think that when Zagorowski is fully healthy, they're going to be able to have more fast starts. You're definitely right about this being the more outlier than the norm. I mean, you look at the box score, you got Damon Jefferson with 26, Marcus Zagorowski with 17, Christian Bishop with 12. That's 55 of the 70 points that the Blue Jays were able to put up. The, the depth and what we were used to seeing from the Jays in the last couple of games, especially with Marcus being out, was not on display last night. And I also think that that's a blip in the radar, not necessarily the full picture. I think guys will really step up. I think for the rest of the team to only score 15 points is not something that Creighton fans should be used to. or know that they should think that this is like a norm now. This was just a bad shooting night. Uh, I mean, you could kind of put it in that light. It was a really bad shooting night for some really good shooters. And I wouldn't expect a guy like O'Connell to go over or a guy like Mitch to, to not put a step on the game for too many often down the stretch. Yeah, like you think of O'Connell too, back when he was at Duke, he would have games where he would go over, but then he'd come back and go like five of six for three from three that next game. So it's kind of that the whole regression to the mean sort of thing. I think that we're going to start to see that with Creighton a little bit where you you do drop two, they're they're tough, hard fought games, and maybe you got off to a slow start. But once you get your consistency back in the lineup, that's when they're going to start to really pick it up. And we're going to see the, the type of games that we saw from them earlier in the season, like they had against Nebraska, St. John's, and, and all those other games too. Uh, last week, we had Damian Jefferson on episode three of the pod. Um, I asked him about, you know, stepping up to the challenge of these big-time Big East players who have the ability to go off on a team, and he spoke about his defensive mindset and all that stuff. But this is the third time this year now that uh, we see a Creighton team really struggle against one particular player. They held David Duke to 12 points, which was great. You know, he's Providence's leading scorer going into the game. But they had a really tough time with the big man Watson inside. We saw it's UConn the first time um, they played them. I think uh, Bowman had a really big game. And then Champagne for St. John's had a really big game too. So uh, what is it about Creighton's defense that's kind of allowing individual guys to have some big performances, at least in those three instances? I think it's interesting with, with Creighton because the, the rebounding has been a struggle. Like I, I looked up the numbers that in Big East play, six of their nine games, they've allowed double digit offensive rebounds to the opponent. Oof. So that's, and you mentioned a number of those guys. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But you mentioned all those guys. A lot of those guys are are big guys or or they play down low. And so that's creating easy second opportunities for for the opposition. And that's probably something, and and Creighton's not a huge team in terms of of height and size, but there are ways to to maneuver around it. I look at a team like Pitt. They've got Justin Champagny, who is one of the best rebounders in the country, but he's not a big guy. So you just need guys to kind of play a little bit bigger than they are. 
So that, that's one of the things is that when I look at Creighton, you got to find ways to, to make rebounds happen. It, it, it's, a, you know, this it's a lot rebounding is a lot of sure height. You can throw it into the equation, but a lot of it is effort too. And, and are you going to find a guy, yeah, mark a guy fire. box out. And th- another way to do that is if you are boxing out effectively, you're going to draw some fouls along the way. And maybe the, the guy who's going out there and getting three or four offensive rebounds, you might take him out of the game early because of foul trouble. And that's important if you look at this current team across not the tallest team aside from Cogbrenner and them coming off the bench as a freshman, but they've done a pretty good job, in my opinion, of bossing out. Um, I mean, I, I saw them play a ton last year, obviously, I saw a bunch of games this year. Traditionally, they are able to put a body on guys and box and usually see Damian Justin come through with like six, seven rebounds. Since Mahoney is good for right. uh, five, six on a good night. But like you said, yesterday, it was kind of a struggle for the boys to secure the, the rebound and, and not have those second chance opportunities come back and bite them, um, especially in that middle part of the second half where uh, Providence is trying to pull away and you're really trying to claw back into the game. Once again, after being down 17 in the first half, you claw back to a five-point lead uh, to end the first half. Once again, Providence kind of goes on a run in the second half and you have to claw back and claw back and claw back. So. Yeah, it's very difficult for a team to put their fingerprint on a game when they just continuously uh, give up second-point opportunities and second-point shots. You know, it's interesting you bring up the the runs and the clawing back. You've played in that mm-hmm. arena, you and this is a home game that they lost yesterday. <laughs> How much yeah. is the no fans hurting these guys? Because you got to imagine. Yeah, like, I look at it in two lenses, though. Like, that Butler game, probably not going to overtime. If Hinkle's rocking... <laughs> I, I find it hard to believe Creighton's getting back into that game. But on the flip side, in this Providence game, maybe Providence doesn't get out to as big of a heater as they do from the gate, but they also probably don't pull away in the same way. And once Creighton gets rolling, then once they pull it within three, they probably get over that hump. So how much do you think the no fans is hurting this team? It's hurting this team at home a ton. I can promise you that because there's nothing like it was century when I was there, Shy Health Center now. Mm-hmm. Nothing like Shy Health Center rocking when you go on a run, especially like if you're down big early, the fans really get on their feet and they try to give you that energy. Before you know it, you could turn it around on like a 9-0 run, force you to call a timeout, and then you'll hear, can you feel it, Michael Jackson playing <laughs> as you're walking to your bench and everybody's on their feet clapping along to that song. Like that, that's a crazy thing. If you're a fan or if you play, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But not having the fans there when they're clawing back and you see the guys really dig in and give effort but like that extra boost of energy that extra boost of adrenaline that they would normally get from a captivating crowd is just simply not there and you really have to just dig down even deeper and, and try and find that extra bit of energy and it, it's difficult you know i'm playing pro right now with no fans and in, in the stands everywhere we go it's still kind of like an eerie feeling when teams are going on a run and there's really no reaction to be had like it's really a, a internal thing where you have to find a strategy, you know, find the guts, find whatever it is that you have deep down inside you in order to keep going and and fight through those tough stretches. So it's affecting everyone. Um, And like I said, they're they're only about uh, 15 games in now, 14 games in. So they're still going to have a chance to to learn from this and and really learn how to play without a crowd. And I see them getting better as season goes on. But no, you're 100% right. There's no crowd and, and not no crowd. They had some fans in the stands, but the limited crowd does not give them the boost and the energy that usually the big crowd does. 
Yeah, I look at their their conference schedule right now. Two of their three losses in the Big East have come at home, which is just something that you would not expect uh, out, out of this Creighton team, especially a highly ranked team. So looking forward for, for Creighton, who has been in your eyes the, the guy who's not getting enough credit right now for what's going on and why this team has had so much success? Because, yeah, we can, we can nitpick through the past two losses, but overall this is a team – 15th or 11th in the country, 15th on Ken Palm. They're having a ton of success right now. Who, who's the guy who's not getting enough credit through it all, through it all. Not enough credit. I mean, I, I long believer that Damon Jefferson is an unsung hero and his game is not super flashy and it's not, you know, what you would expect from a, I guess a, let's call him a big time player, which is what I believe him to be. But the man puts his heart hat on and he goes to work every single game. And even the game like Butler in their loss where he, he kind of struggled. If you look at the box score, he still did well enough. He did the stuff that the team was asking him to. He got some rebounds. He helped in the assist department. He helped in the scoring department. But missing Marcus at Butler was a big detriment to the team because they didn't have that extra score to help out with what Mahoney was, was doing. If you look at him last night, he was the leader all over the floor. Like he... He really boxed out. He got rebounds. He got in transition. He he made some tough shots in the paint. He made some of his free throws. And that's what you need. So, like, I he's still the unsung hero. He's still the guy who doesn't get enough credit. Um, but, I mean, it, it is what it is at this point. The boys, we have to step up and cut the collective in order to, to get these wins. Because we could talk lonely about their offense and all that stuff as much as we want. But until they continue to put wins on the board and uh, – this is not going to be a happy staff and it's not going to be a happy team. And, you know, the Crane fans as loyal as they are, you know, every once in a while you could kind of start hearing the murmur and the hopes kind of disintegrating from, from the fan base too. So the boys can pick it up. I'm sure they know it. I'm sure Mac knows it. I'm sure they're going to practice hard and, and get back on the floor against a really tough UConn team. But uh, yeah, they need to start stringing wins together, just like that flag that's behind you. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you bring up this little rough stretch and I'm sure you went through a couple of them when you were a player at Creighton too. What is coach Max message right now? What, what like first day back after a a tough home loss, what is coach Max message at practice after a a little two game losing streak? First, he's for sure going to watch film and really dissect the points of the game or the parts of the game that he thought that the team struggled in, uh, and Coach Mack has always been great at doing that. He'll he'll really be specific about, you know, what needs to happen in certain situations and where to lack communication or, you know, where guys were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, he's really good at, at picking that apart and then really drilling those things. I remember uh, for whatever reason, um, my sophomore and junior year, we went through three-game losing uh, streaks like in the middle of February and it always happened in the middle of February for us. And we just, we couldn't figure it out, but Mac and the staff always had a positive outlook on things. Uh, I think I mentioned in the last podcast with Avery, he would always say it's never that good. And it's never that bad. The truth is usually, you know, somewhere in the middle. And he gives that kind of perspective to the staff and to the players that, you know, no matter what happened yesterday, if they were able to claw out that, that and win that game, there's still some negative things that they would have to fix in order to become a better team. So I think that's just the, that mindset is going to be that they're going to have to continue to work and get better in, in, at certain points in order to achieve what their goal is ultimately is obviously to, to win the Big East, win the 
uh, Big East tournament if they end up having one, and also go as far as they possibly can in the NCAA tournament. I look at this Creighton team, and of course, shooting's the calling card. You played on a number of very, very potent offenses when it came to shooting the basketball. When you guys struggled, was it just because you guys weren't making shots, or was there something extra to that sometimes? Uh, yeah, sometimes it just the ball doesn't fall. You know, it, it's like I'm watching the game yesterday. Oftentimes, the team gave up a good shot for a great shot. Uh, O'Connell had a couple of great looks, especially in the first half. Denzel Mahoney had a couple of really good looks in the first half. He airballed one of them, but uh, I think that was like his only rush shot, uh, in my opinion, maybe his only bad shot of the night, but he had some really good looks and they just simply weren't falling. Are you going to tell Mahoney that he shouldn't shoot those shots? Absolutely not. The man obviously <laughs> showed what he can do. He put up 29 against Butler, right? So sometimes there are those nights, but when the shots are falling, what else can you do to win the game? And I think like I say every team needs that second identity. Like if your identity, your primary identity is a really good defensive team, let's just say you struggle defensively for a night. What else can you do to come away with a win? And I think Crane really needs to figure out what their second identity is. Uh, in my opinion, obviously if shots aren't falling, you need to figure out something defensively maybe, or, you know, whatever the case may be, like, what can they put, hang their hat on that? You know, if shots aren't falling, we could certainly still do this and come out with a win. Um, I think they have yet to find that for this particular year's team, for this year's team. Uh, but again, there's, there's plenty of time to figure that out. Uh, like I said, Coach Mack has thousands of drills in his repertoire in order to get the guys to figure out what that potentially can be. And I'm honestly, I'm looking forward to see how they respond in the next game against UConn. And yeah, we'll see how things go from there. And that's a big UConn game because uh, that's a UConn team. It's almost eerily similar to Providence where you played them earlier in the year. You were the, the higher ranked team and they hung close with you. But in the end, you pulled it out. And I believe that game went into overtime. And now you're bringing them back to right. your gym this time. And they, maybe they're a little hungrier this time around. I mean, the Creighton team should be a desperate team, just like the Providence team was desperate against them last night, right? Like Providence came off of a three-game losing streak, were super hungry and made their intentions shown from tip-off. What do you expect Creighton to come out? What do you think they're going to look like when they come out against UConn now that they're the guys on the other end of a two-game losing streak? You got to imagine, I mean, you almost want to stick to your calling card because if you can go out there and if you hit like three of your first five threes and really get rolling offensively, that can kind of get, get your mojo going. And obviously, a lot, fly, yeah, like, like it's obviously a lot easier said than done. But, but for you, like when you, you guys are like, imagine a time when you guys were going through a little bit of a rut, you got a big conference opponent coming up. And the slow starts maybe have been hampering you a little bit. What, what did Coach Mack, you mentioned the scripted plays, but like what's he sort of drawn up for to get this offense going? We were lucky. We had All-American that we're just like, look, we're going <laughs> to run this play for you. Go get us a bucket together. Everyone else get out of the way. <laughs> we it was were, like the from the from the last dance. Everyone we get out of the lucky. way. The Doug Collins approach. We were pretty lucky. Set, yeah, exactly. Set, set a couple of cross screens for Doug. He'll figure it out. Like, And then we kind of get our feet underneath us defensively so um it's still in my opinion still going to be a scripted play coach mac is a a guy that um he's really into routine like that, that's what he does that is how he enters a game that is his mindset so the first two or three four players like they're gonna know what they're supposed to be doing it's a matter of team executing and getting the easiest shot that they possibly can because 
in reality, you look at the team. So let's just say this UConn team, you kind of see what deficiencies are on defense and Coach Mack is going to try to exploit that early on and see if he can them to adjust their defenses to the way that Korean ultimately wants to play. So in my opinion, it, it starts on the defensive end. Let's just say they lose the tip. Can't really afford to allow UConn to get on a roll and score in the first three possessions of the game. Like they really have to settle down, get, get a stop in order to get their pace and, and the plays that they want to execute going. If they're unable to do that, it's going to look uh, similar to what we saw against Providence, unfortunately, where, you know, one team has a role there, they're running their sets to perfection, they're chewing clock and getting the shots that they want at the end of the shot clock, and Crane's just unable to get up and down the way that they, they really want to, no matter how many, you know, sets that Coach Mack has up his sleeve. And this isn't just the, the micro look of the UConn game. I mean, this is going to be a theme moving forward for the rest of the season, too. Like, you can't afford to get out to some of these slower starts, especially when you're an offensive-reliant team. But defensively, what do you see out of this team in the, the early stages of the season that either, all right, let's tighten that up, or I really like that, let's keep that going? Uh, one thing that I – as I, I see them defensively, I uh, want to have a little bit of a peek on. Sometimes they switch. I know they want to switch one through four. They, they trust Marcus and Sharif to really fight against bigger guys in the post. And, you know, they dig at the bigger guys. They sometimes uh, come in with a hard double. But sometimes on the perimeter, on, on simple, you know, uh, like cross screen or cross screen and down screen actions and stuff like that, where they don't necessarily need to switch, they do. And that really, uh, you know, comes back to bite them at near the end of the shot clock where all of a sudden you have uh, mismatches all over the floor and then you have to fight for that defensive rebound, which we spoke about earlier, is something that Crane has struggled to, to really collect and, and end uh, defensive possessions with a rebound. So I would like to see them not, you know, commit to switching so early in the shot clock, maybe fight through a couple of early screens and really switch near the end of the shot clock in order to challenge shots as opposed to when a shot goes up because of an early switch, now you have a bit a big guy on the other end trying to get an offensive rebound against one of our little guys. So uh, that's one of the things if I had a critique on about their defense uh, early on, that that would be one of those things. Yeah, I, and I think those are all valid points too, especially when you play with such positional flexibility, like you mentioned Creighton does, the ability to switch one through four. I think that you're, you're right. That, that is really important. So any last things that you really want to get into with this Creighton team? Because again, you're only about halfway through this conference season. There are still a, a lot of basketball left to be played, but so you look at a team that, that was in the top 10 not too long ago and, and a two game losing streak. It feels like the sky is falling. That's what it is when you have high expectations <laughs> and you know that you have a really good team. I mean, we're really blessed to be in this position. If you think about it really where a two game losing streak, people are just like oh my god what's going on with this team how can they be fixed like a lot of teams go through this and but you know the like the the hype and the hope is not so high that a two-game losing streak is something that is really like questioned and critiqued but you know we're blessed to be in this position you know the staff has worked hard to put this team in this position the players have worked hard to put themselves in this position and if you want to be a top 10 team consistently uh, you have to prove it night in and night out. Unfortunately for them, the last two games uh, has not gone their way. And now it's kind of like, you know, show us. Show us that you are that team that we think that you can be. 
show us that you're as talented as you are, show us that you're a good shooting team that you're supposed to be, show us that you can be up defensively and switch and really battle on the boards and not allow teams to out-rebound you. And then, you know, those questions will be answered. And I, I have the utmost confidence in this team. I've said it multiple times on this podcast. I've said it when I've been guests on other people's podcasts. I believe there's going to be a team that's going to make it to Sweet 16 Elite 8, knock on wood, if nothing bad happens. Um, but again, you know, I'm going to pretend like I'm from Missouri. You're going to have to show me, you know, just, yeah. you're going to have to show me <laughs> what you guys are all about. And then uh, obviously I'm always going to be a fan of this team, but I really I really want to see how these guys respond in the next game against UConn. Yeah, it's a, a nice little stretch here. You got UConn, then you got Seton Hall coming up. So it's, it's not going to be easy. And it, But th- that's I'm the looking, nice thing about the Big East, too. I'm looking is like, forward to it, man. Yeah, that's the nice thing is like, okay, you, you <laughs> lost to, to Butler, you lost to Providence, two teams that you're, you know you're better than, both of those teams. But now you've got a chance to pick up some quality wins along the way, too. We got to talk about Mitch Ballack as well. You know, obviously the last two games in particular, he's really struggled to make shots. And it's something that's super uncharacteristic of him. I know Mitch very well. His work ethic is second to none. He's one of those guys, if he has a bad game, he's in the gym at four o'clock in the morning trying to fix whatever it is uh, in order to have a better game next time. But he struggled for the last two games. And obviously it hasn't really helped Crane uh, come with victories. Uh, What have you seen him or in his game, the last two games in particular, that doesn't necessarily quite look like the Mitch that we all know and love. Well, he's one of the the more efficient players on this team. And I think you bring it up, like you just look at the box score, the, the efficiency is something that takes a dip. And it's still one of those things, like he hasn't been as efficient, but he's still shooting 36% from three this season. So <laughs> when, when you factor all that in, like if he gets back to what he is and Marcus gets fully healthy and can, can run this offense again. And, and once all the pieces are back together, I feel like that's going to let this team turn a corner. Right. And like you said, if he gets back to what he is and if Marcus stays healthy and if this, and if that, do you consider him to be one of the bigger, like if teams in the NCAA right now, like if everything can work out, then they can make a really deep round because I feel like they have such, they have depth. I mean, we definitely saw that in the St. John's game. They have incredible depth, but they also have guys that they really need to rely on in order to get the team going. And in tough spots, in tight games, those are going to be the guys who are asked to uh, dig into their bag of tricks and come out with a victory for school and for the team. So do you see Korean as one of the biggest, uh, one of the bigger what if teams uh, of this year? I think you can say, yes, they're, they are a what if team, but those what if answers get get solved a lot with experience and this team's got a ton of experience so you got to imagine that is something that's going to help them out when when the going gets tough like it is now you've got a bunch of vets out there marcus is a junior damien's a senior denzel's a senior mitch is a senior. like all these guys are upperclassmen and it's an upperclassmen led group and i think that's ultimately when you you always ask the question what if it's going to ultimately be answered with, okay, we've got a bunch of veteran guys. And I think that is a huge, especially, I mean, look at this year, look at all the inexperienced teams that are struggling. You think of Kentucky, you think of Duke, like all these blue bloods are struggling. And what's the common denominator there is they're all super young. Yeah. This team is not, this team is one of the most experienced teams has some of the most returning production of anyone in the country. So you factor all that together and it feels like a formula, like you said, Sweet 16, Elite 8, knock on wood. But 
a lot of these questions, these what if questions can be answered with, all right, we've got guys who've been there before, they've done this, and now they're ready to take that next step. What do you think the bench could do to give a little bit of breather to the starting five? Like we mentioned, the three guys at 55 points, like you would think on any other night, that should be enough to give the boys a victory. Obviously, the bench has struggled for the last couple of games. So what do you think their mindset needs to be coming into a game, especially this UConn game, which like we can't stress enough how crucial it is for the psyche of this team. Uh, what can the bench do when they, or whoever comes off the bench, wants to step on the floor to help on the offensive side of the ball? I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like this team is so good offensively. Like you've got those three guys, like just kind of play your role. It kind of feels like one of those things. Like I've seen, I've seen Kalkbrenner a couple of times. He, he does a couple of nice things in, in some pick and roll situations. He'll get a, a dive to the basket and then it's an easy dunk. And just kind of executing yeah. those simple plays, it feels like is what's going to take this team to the next level. And again, they don't use their bench a ton either like whether it's two fouls whether it's just overall bench minutes in general because you've got all of these guys that are veterans who can play 38 40 minutes like coach mac doesn't need to dive into his his bench too often and i don't blame him when you've got those sort of players it it is but i think it's just making the most of those minutes is what's going to be important i don't know what you see out of them but that's at least the way i feel about them it's a difficult to kind of be sitting down and then asked to come into the game and, and make a splash. Avery talked about it in the last episode that we had. He spent the majority of his career coming out of the bench, and he'll be the first to tell you it's really difficult when you warm up with the team and then you're asked to sit down for, let's just say, 20, 25 real time before you come back onto the court and you're asked to either defend a, a player that's got it going or you're asked to make shots, you know, shit off the bench. That's why some of the uh, most paid guys are six men of the year right. candidates in the NBA. You know, like those guys are always going to have jobs because they have learned the art of getting hot at the right time and doing what the team needs them to do uh, coming off the bench. So it's a difficult spot for sure for, for anybody, whether you ask them to do well offensively or defensively. But like I said, last night, there was some key stretches where guys were open and they just missed open shots and then they didn't have the correct rotations defensively, which allowed Providence to gain some energy and some confidence with what they were doing. And, you know, sometimes false confidence is good confidence, whether or not it was a Jay's fault that they got that confidence, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But once the team is confident and they're on the road and there's not a big crowd uh, cheering against them, you could see how that momentum really shifted to Providence's side last night. No doubt. And, and again, it's one of those things. Sometimes, some nights those shots are going to fall and in an alternate universe, there is a world where Creighton goes out and wins that game last night by, by 15, 20 points because those shots just fall. Yeah. And you're going to be accustomed to this Creighton team hitting those sort of shots in the future because that's just kind of what they've been. They've been a, a very potent offensive team these last couple of years. They can knock down these big shots. And like you, you mentioned some of these guys, especially like Mitch. He wasn't shooting a ton last night either. I think he only shot like four times. And he goes 0 for 3 from yeah. 3. Well, we're, we're more likely to see him go one for three, two for three from three. We're also probably not going to see him play many more games where he only takes three three-pointers as well. Mm-hmm. I've spoken a number of times about the gravity that he creates. And, you know, there, I, this is where I think I defer with your opinion there is there are going to be games uh, where he's only going to get only three shots because guys are holding his hand. <laughs> guys are literally holding his hand wherever he yeah. goes on the court. Um, and allow him to, to get those clean looks like he did. Like in the remember the first time that they played Providence, he hit a bomb 
from like 35 feet out and to end the first half. Uh, and, you know, a team teams remember uh, details like that. And they yeah. really did a good job really extending out to him. And, you know, that was Providence's game plan. And obviously it worked out for, for them because Marcus, uh, obviously coming back from injury, tentative at times to drive and to get into the paint when those driving lanes opened up because of the gravity that Mitch has. So uh, guys are going to have to step up if teams are really going to be hugged on to them. Um, that means other guys are going to have opportunities to score. And, you know, they need to make the most out of those opportunities, in my opinion. Yep. It's, it's going to be a, a fun season for sure. And of course the expectations yeah. are high, but like, let's be honest, the eye test still has Creighton as the first or second best team in the big East. It's going to be a, a mm-hmm. back and forth battle between them and Villanova the entire season. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So in your expert opinion, Tyler, what should be, uh, where should Creighton be on the panic meter from one to 10? And obviously being like, oh my God, like let's throw everything out the window. We need to really restart everything and think about our new identity to one being like, nah, there's not no worry about it at all. So I mean, I'm at like meter, a two, right? Like you can't get too <laughs> bent up about a, a game feel, like this, a yeah, couple games like this. Way. It's just, these shots yeah. are going to fall at some point, you know, it. the, the history shows you that. Mm-hmm. And once you're getting your guy back in Marcus Zagorowski, like now that he's back, let him get a game or two under his belt. And it's just, it's going to feel like things are going to get back to normal. You're going to see more performances like we saw out of them against Seton Hall, St. John's, those ones where they're just going out and killing people. I think there's still plenty of those left in the tank for this team. So I I think once you get the consistency back in the lineup, but that's why I'm at it too. Just, this is a a non-issue for me right now. I honestly, I can agree with you more. I'm literally right at it too. With everything that we said about like some of the negatives that we saw, some of the things that we think that they could fix, you know, uh, either strategy wise or, you know, uh, yeah, there's so many things that we talked about where we could say, okay, they could do this or that better. I'm still at a two, man. <laughs> like, these, this is a really. What do you think Blue Jay really Nation's at right team. now? Where? Where's where's Blue Jay Nation okay. based off on what you read on Twitter, the texts you get, the tweets you get, all that stuff. Where, where's Blue Jay Nation I, right now? I, I didn't even I didn't even have to go on social media to kind of see what the temperature was at. I already knew that they were going to be at like a seven eight potentially because that's just the expectations that we have for our boys. And like I said earlier, rightfully so. Like we have been a part of a great transformation at Crane. Coach Mac in his tenure has led this team from a Missouri Valley uh, team to a Big East team. And with that pressure and expectation and all that stuff rises. So uh, we've come at a point now being defending uh, Big East regular season champions, uh, having that share with Villanova and Seton Hall last year. Now the expectations are really high for that returned the core of that group that that won last year. So uh I know that their panic meters are like a six, seven, eight, but I'm telling you guys, like it should really be at like a two. Uh, yeah, let's, if you give really them trust the word coach like Mack some parting saying, words, if, parting words, like settle if, them down a little bit here. I'll tell you the reason why I'm at it too, is because I know coach Mack and I know the staff, I know the players uh, I, I've had relationships with them in the past few summers coming back and working out with the team and working out individually and seeing who's in the gym at what time, like secret time when I'm back in Omaha in the summertime I I do my work super early I wake up at 6 a.m I'm in the gym I get my shots up right after that I go lift I'm telling you guys 
guys who are on this current team right now are up there with me at ungodly hours working on their own things on the other side of the gym as I'm doing my own thing uh, on the other side of the gym. So I, I know the players, I know their work ethic, I know their hunger, I know how dissatisfied they've they are right now with having lost two straight games. And I know that they're going to come out swinging uh, the next few games, not just the UConn game. Obviously, cliche is to look one game at a time, but I just know the culture and I know that the guys are going to bounce back furiously in, in the next upcoming game. So that's why me first, my panic meter is at two. So I hope Crane fans agree with me uh, if, if they choose to do so. But, you know, the uh, like I said, I'm sure they're at six seven eight right now on the panic yeah. meter <laughs> well well that's what they say right fan is just short for fanatic and that's what yeah. these people are they they, they are so invested in their blue jays and listen if there's any time to be invested in a blue jays team it's these ones right now because there there's something special in, in omaha right now this mm -hmm. is a really really good team and it's not time to panic on them right now so you asked me the question, who's the unsung hero or who's the guy who doesn't deserve or doesn't get enough credit as they deserve? I'm going to flip that question back to you, Tyler. Who do you think is the unsung hero this year's team? Uh, guys that you've maybe been impressed about and just don't get the kind of, you know, uh, press or, you know, accolade that they should. You know, I I think it's it's tough to really pin it on on any one guy for Creighton just because there are, are so many guys, so many vets. But I mean, I'm kind of with you. I, I kind of feel like it is DJ and Damian Jefferson's a guy like we had him on the show. And it's just one of those guys who when things start going wrong, it feels like he's the the, the Mr. Figure it out, the, the quick fix, the the easy solution sort of guy where, okay, just get it to him. He's going to get you a couple of quality offensive looks. He's going to create some, some good offensive possessions for you just because he is that senior guy that's steadying force. And I'm sure it, you see it not just on the court, but in the locker room as well. And I think stuff like that's important, especially when you want to make a deep tournament run, that stuff matters. And for a guy like him, like we, we look in that the game against uh, Butler or not Butler uh, against Providence that game was out of hand at a certain point. Like they were down 12, 13 points. And then they just gave it to Jefferson a couple times and he'd get a couple easy layups and then he'd get a steal and turn it into a transition bucket. It's that stuff that matters. And I think that's why for me, he is the, the unsung guy on this team. I've said it often before and I'll <laughs> say it often again. That's my guy. Like I've been watching his development for the last couple of years uh, to see this product of what he has become in his senior season. I'm, I'm always, I'm always excited to see guys really uh, get better and better until their last year where they really get to show out. And I think this is kind of like a show out year. I see but great things for him in the future, wherever he ends up playing pro, he's going to be an asset to whatever team picks him up. But right now I'm creating basketball. And he's certainly doing his part. Like he, he's game being leader as communicating. Uh, it just, the last two games just wasn't friendly for the boys. And like I said, I, I have nothing but uh, high expectations for them coming on the next few games. Not just this UConn game coming up, but the next few games, I think we're going to see a different Blue Jays team. We're going to go our separate, here, our separate ways here shortly, Tyler. I want to thank you for coming on to the pod. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about this current crop of Blue Jays and to Blue Jay Nation in general? I mean, they're fun. 
don't panic. I mean, this is a team that's going to get back yeah. to making shots. And I think we're going to see these next couple of games. Uh, they're going to A, make shots, and you got to hope th those fast starts come too. I agree with you 100%. Thank you for being our sixth guest on the show. This was my producer who's become a, a really close uh, acquaintance of mine in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, uh, the behind-the-scenes guy of Jay. Now you guys have a chance to, to see him, to hear him, to see his perspective on the boys. Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Fielder 68 Media Network for more content like this from our various hosts representing their different schools, uh, talking about the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. Thank you once again, Tyler. Welcome to the Jay brother. Hopefully you'll come back again uh, so we could talk some more Blue Jay, some more Blue Jay basketball. I mean, I don't think I have a choice. I'm here every time. I I'm here with you every time. <laughs> I'm locked you're, in. Yeah, you're technically, you're technically behind the scenes every time. <laughs> so we will hear, we will hear from you for sure in the future, right? Go Jay, right, take good. care everybody, stay safe.